give God the glory this morning. Give him all the glory and the honor and the praise. He is worthy. He has done an amazing thing, and he is just getting started, man. We are so excited. Well, good morning. If it's your first time joining us, my name is John Mark, and I'm just honored to have you here today. And if it's your 200th Sunday with us, let me tell you something. To every person that calls this Sunday home, I'm so honored and I value you and appreciate you more than I'm able to articulate to you. Thank you so much for allowing me to be your pastor. Thank you so much for allowing us into your life, for allowing us to do this journey with you, to be in this together. We, we are, I am so grateful for you. Thank you. Thank you for being the Gathering Church. Today, as we celebrate our four-year birthday, um, we are, I'm going to say it's four years. I'll tell you, people keep asking me, uh, four years, how do you feel? I always tell them, it feels like it was a thousand years. It's, four years doesn't feel like nearly enough. My wife and I moved here to start this church two months after our first child was born. And so at the same time, we birthed a church. We also, well, Rael birthed a human and we entered parenthood, and uh, anybody who's got kids will tell you that your life before kids feels like a different kind of life. And so uh, with both things, it just feels hard to even imagine what it was like beforehand. But let me tell you what I want to do this morning as we celebrate. First, I, I want to share a little announcement about some changes coming and some exciting things that we're going to be doing here in, in coming up soon. And then after that, I'll share a little bit of our story, how we got here. On our birthday, I always like to, to share a little bit of the journey that made the Gathering Church what it is. And, um, and, so, and then after that, I'll share a little bit about the dreams that we have for the future. And so that is what we're going to do. I'll get started with the announcement side. So uh, at the gathering, we are always trying to think of new ways uh, to create space for people to enter into a brand new relationship with Jesus. I need you to know that as a church, we're fixated on it. We, we believe that our calling, our mission is to, is to lead people into a relationship with Jesus, to tell as many people about his hope as we can. And so we do a lot on Sundays to think about first-time guests and to think about people that you bring to make sure that they're having the best possible experience that they can, that their walls are coming down, that all the, the prejudices they had in their minds about what church might be or could be are being melted down by the good people they're encountering so that when they come into this space, they could experience hope. And so we're always trying to think of ways to do that better. And one of the things that we've noticed is that there, there is a big difference between the amount of people that come to our 9 a.m. service and our 11 a.m. service. I don't know why. Maybe it's Sunday morning and we just like to sleep around here. But we usually have two-thirds of our church attendance at the 11 a.m. and one-third at the 9 a.m. Furthermore, first-time guests are about a one in five between who goes to 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. And so we want to smell make this gap a little bit smaller. This room at 11 a.m. is starting to feel 
full. When people are coming in, they're having a hard time getting seats, and, and, and it's kind of an anxious and stressful feeling. I, I don't know about you, but I don't like feeling anxious at church. I want this to be one place where we melt away as many of those anxieties and fears as we can. Any obstacle we can remove, we will. And so in order to make that a little bit better, to close that gap a little bit, we're going to move our 9 a.m. service to 9.30 a.m. So we're going to do a 9.30 and an 11 a.m. service. This is going to close the gap between services a little bit, which is, we believe, one of the things that will be positive for us because we will be forced to have a tighter turnaround and transition times. I'll have to, you know, make my messages a little bit more uh, fit in the time. I'll have to take about five five minutes off of there. And Robbie's really excited about that. He's been wanting me to take five minutes out of my sermons uh, since before we started this church. And so um, we're, we're excited that, that, that we think that's going to help us out culturally. And it's going to make us more better prepared for when we add a third service. Because in order to do three services, we're going to have to get better and better at those sort of things. And so beginning March 22nd, we will have a 9.30 a.m. and an 11 a.m. service. If you're one of our regular 11 a.m. people, I would ask you to consider thinking about making that shift to that 9.30 a.m. service so that we can make more room for our first-time guests who are more naturally drawn to that. They like the Sunday brunch. Maybe you're the brunch crowd. We want to make room for more first-time guests to come into this place at our 11 a.m. services. And so that's a shift that we're making. Maybe you also noticed that uh, beginning last week, one of the changes we made is we've added an usher team. And an usher team, like a traditional, like somebody there to help you find your seat and tell you to sit up front and closer to the middle. Maybe Maybe you're like me. I don't like to be told what to do. I hate it. And when we first started going to uh, the church that we came out of in California was the first time that an usher had done anything at a church other than hand me a bulletin. You know what I'm saying? And so they were telling me where to sit. And I remember they, they were leading me towards the front. And I was like, mine's sitting up there. Mm-mm. I'm not. You want me to sit there? Fine. I'm going to sit over there. You can't tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me. It's kind of how I'm wired. What I've been learning uh, over the last several years about church is that my, my first instinct is to make it about me, kind of like everything else in my life. And what I'm learning about church is that it's not about me. That in fact, this, this opportunity that we have on Sunday mornings is so important for us to worship in this space together. And that blesses me and fills me up. But I think it is just as important for us to be on mission together in this place, to to have a job to do, which is to bring the gospel into the hearts and minds of as many people as possible. And so with that in mind, I would just ask you to partner with us in that. Get uncomfortable sometimes. Help us in this mission to make it easier for people to come in. I want you to be comfortable to bring your friends and family members and coworkers into this place and not have anxiety about what they'll feel when they're in here. We want to remove as many of the hesitations people have as we can. And if making it easier for them to find a seat is part of that, then we want to do that as well. And so let me um, share with you a little bit about why we need to do that. Because our church is growing. We have got to make room. In the last year, our church has grown by 51% in average attendance. The average growth rate for a healthy church is 30%. That's amazing what God is doing. Uh, In the four years that we've been a church, 134 people have entered into a new relationship with Jesus. 
Come on. 43 people just in the last year. 43 people have entered into a relationship with Jesus since the last one year anniversary. 19 people were baptized in our church last year. 86% of the adults attendance in our church is in a life group last semester and the trend continues this semester. Come on somebody, that's a big deal. For reference, the average national participation in small groups is 35%. What's happening here is not normal. The favor of God is on this place and his blessing is on this place and it's growing our church. Our attendance grew by 51%, but our monthly giving grew by 67%. I wanted to tell you that because to me, it shows that people are learning to trust us and I believe that there is no better symbol of somebody's spiritual growth. I think when we surrender our lives to God, often the very last area that we are willing to surrender is our finances. And so to see that kind of growth shows me that people are growing spiritually at the gathering church. And I'm so humbled to be a part of it. I always have been. Our story begins in 2013. Rail and I were in a wild season. I, I was still in the Coast Guard working port security for the San Francisco Bay, and that was a full-time job. I was student director at a church in San Jose that I loved. I was also a church planning intern there, which meant I was trying to get as much of our lead pastor's time as I could to ask questions, and he was giving me assignments and, and letting me come in and sit in on meetings where he would be thinking through and making decisions so that I could learn more and more about how to lead and start a church. I was also in that season working on my master's degree. And so I had a lot of things on my plate, a lot of things going on. And honestly, we were so happy. We loved every part of it. I, I, I loved the Coast Guard and my job there. I, I loved leading our student ministry. Rail and I actually came on right when they were starting that student ministry from scratch. So we got to be a part of seeing something new begin. And we loved every moment of it. I loved the people I was working with and working for, Pastor Andy and our family, Pastor David. Pastor David Habisky, who I worked with the most closely, became one of my best friends. I got so excited to walk into his office every, every opportunity that I got. I, I remember that in that season, as I was sp staying up late all night doing master's degree work and learning more about the Bible, that it ignited a feverish desire in me to know more and more about God's word and its history and, and how to study it and, and, and what it means for me and all of that. It was just, it was a really, it was, it was a good time and, and I didn't want it to change or end. And Rail and I moved to California because we felt that God was calling us to start a church someday, and, and we needed to prepare and to plan for that. And, and so as we moved there, that was always kind of our eventual goal, but the longer we were there, the more comfortable we got. And I remember thinking, God, take that dream away from me. I, I want to stay here. Make this my passion, my dream, Father. But he kept stirring up something inside of me, this, this discontent, this feeling of that something needed to change. And so Rail and I went off for a weekend just to pray and ask God about what our next step was, what the, the next part of our life would be, what God was trying to whisper to us. Sometimes you need to separate yourself from the noise in your life so that you can hear what he is speaking to you. And so that's what we did. 
And we just spent a few days praying in the wilderness. And, and I remember one night we were both praying and, and I, I felt like God was saying, I, I was telling God, sometimes my prayers start with a lot more telling than, than praying. And I was telling God, God, this is where I want to be. I love this place. I love this church. I love these people. This is where I'm going to be. And I remember God pushing into my spirit. No, it's not. And it's time for you to start getting ready for what is coming next. And I remember arguing with God. God, I'm not enough. I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have what it takes to do this. I don't have the gifts. I don't have the ability. I, I don't have the experience. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing now. How will I know what I'm doing then you've got the wrong person. I'm a goofball. I'm a screw up. I'm the guy that everybody laughs at when I say I'm going to do something serious. There is no way that this is what you want with me. You've got to find somebody better for this. I'm not enough. Maybe, maybe you've been there. Maybe you've had that argument with God. Maybe he's called you to something more, to something bigger, and, and you just keep hearing on repeat, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. And I remember, I could, this has only happened to me a few times. I remember hearing his, his voice in my spirit say, John Mark, you don't have to be enough. I am enough. And I remember him pushing into my spirit, John Mark, I know exactly what you are capable of because I created you and I formed you in your mother's womb. And before you were born, I knew you and I know what I've called you to and what I've made you for and what is coming for you. I know because I am your maker and you will not have to do this on your own. I am sending others to help you. And so <laughs> I just remember feeling like I had wrestled with God and been defeated. And right at that moment, Rael's elbow came into my side and she said, hey, John Mark, I think we're supposed to go start this church now. And I was like, I know, I know, okay, I get it. Fine, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so we began to dream and we, we began to, to plan and to dream and to think about what kind of church God was calling us to start. And honestly, it, it, it began to come clear to us where we were supposed to go. We, we had I talked about staying on the West Coast or maybe going to the Pacific Northwest or someplace that we just knew needed churches. And, and I just felt like God said, I want you to go to the Southeast and I want you to go to the, the Asheville, North Carolina area. And I, I, I think that the reason for that is because I speak best to my own testimony. And there's a lot of people in this area, the stats kept showing us that they were either in church but did not know God or who were not in a church anymore because they didn't feel like they belonged in one. And that's my story. I, I grew up in the church. I, I grew up in Sunday school. I mean, I could reenact any Bible study on a felt board for you right now if I brought one up here. I, I was there. I was at Royal Ambassadors. I was in youth group. I went on the ski trip. I was at camp. I was there, but I never connected with it, and I never felt like I was meant to be a part of it. I never felt like I belonged. I was always felt like an outsider. I felt like I couldn't connect what the message was with what I was seeing and, and the culture that I lived in, and, and I just I didn't feel like, like I I belong there. And I think there's a lot of people in this area who feel the same way, who've been through the same things. And so we just began to dream, what would it look like if we started a church for people like us? What would it look like if we went to that city, a city of brokenness and heartache and hurt and hopelessness? And what, it, what would it look like if we just, if we went there to start a church where it was easy for people to connect the dots? 
where people felt like they belonged, not from the message or the teaching, but felt like they belonged there the minute they entered the property. Like somebody in the parking lot made them feel seen and wanted and welcomed and, and like they belonged in that place. What if we created a church that from start to finish, the whole experience made people feel like they were at home? What would that, what would that look like? And then we, we studied the Acts chapter 2. And just started to learn about the church. And there's this passage in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where it just tells about the early church. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. It paints a picture of a community of people who were vulnerable with one another, who were willing to get uncomfortable for one another, who were willing to invite people into the deepest parts of their lives and move forward in that together to just, it just paints this picture of real community. And as a result, it said the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And we just began to wonder, what would it look like if we, we, we started a church with community as our goal and community as our focus, where we create spaces and environments and a culture where it's okay for people to get vulnerable and it's okay for people to, to admit how broken they are and how hurting they are and how they feel like they don't belong. What if we make a space where it's okay for people to heal? And it's okay for people to find freedom. What, what if we created a, a church where people really did this kind of life together? What would God do? What, would, would, he, would he add daily to the number of people who are being saved? What, would, would people like me finally feel like they belong somewhere? What would it look like if we could do that? We read in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. I remember being here. Uh, in Asheville in 2013 at a house in Kenilworth with Robbie and Chelsea. You got to know that Robbie and Chelsea and Robert and April, the first people to say yes to this church, are either they, they either had the biggest faith of anyone I know or the most naive of anyone I know. What I've learned over four years is that it's both. <laughs> no, I, I, we, we would not be here without you guys. And, um, Robbie and Robert are my brothers. And the Bible says that, a, that a, a brother was born for a time of adversity. That's my guys. And so anyways, we're sitting in this house and Robbie shared this verse, 1 Thessalonians 2a. He said, what would it look like if we started a church like this? We cared so deeply that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives as well. That's how beloved you have become to us. That became our dream. What would it look like if we became a church that shared the gospel of God with as many people as we can, but we were also willing to, to share our lives with you as well? And so that is what we came here to do. 
That is who we came here to become. And we came and we started this church and, and we started it in the, in the spirit of community. Before we ever met on a Sunday, we were meeting in each other's homes and breaking bread together. And we started it off with a culture of vulnerability. We began to share stories in our life groups and even from the stage that most people never say out loud because we believed that if we were going to grow, we were going to have to take our masks off and really let someone in, that we were going to have to share not just the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And, and as a result, it began to grow and it began to change and lives began to change and God began to perform miracles. And, and then we, we, we started to point people towards a specific spiritual pathway that we believe is in the entire Bible. But Paul clearly writes out in Ephesians chapter one, verse 17 and 18, he says, and if you ever wonder how to pray for somebody who doesn't yet know Jesus, this is it right here. It says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. The word he uses for know isn't head knowledge, no, it's person, no. It's like know like you know a family member or a friend. It's know like intimately know. In, in other words, my prayer for you is not just that you would know God, but that you would really know him, that you would know his character and his nature, that you would know that he has dreams for you, that he wants something for you, that he made you, and that you would have conversation with him, that he would be in your life as a part of your, your life, not just as a character in your life, but rather that you would know him in a personal way. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In other words, that all the things that have been holding you back, that have been blocking your vision, that have wrapped you up like chains, that have made it impossible for you to move forward, the lies you believe, the sin you're tangled up in, the addiction you can't get rid of, the mindsets that you wake up and live in every day, that they would disappear, that your eyes might be opened in order that you may know the hope that he has called you to. He has called you to something bigger than yourself. He has hope for you, a purpose for you, dreams for you. And when you begin to understand the purpose that he has for you and live in the hope that he has called you to, then you begin to make a difference in this world and you get to experience something that very few do, real peace that you might experience the riches of his glorious inheritance to his holy people and the incomparably great power for us who believe. We began to teach that our goal is to help you take a next step to know God, to find freedom, to discover your purpose, and to make a difference. And it requires a real community to do that. And it requires vulnerability, and it requires being uncomfortable, and it requires committing, and it requires so much of us but on the other side is greater favor and blessing and peace than we could experience in any other way. It's what it means to know God, is to know blessing and favor and anointing. And this is the pathway there. And that has happened in this place over and over again. People have walked that pathway, have experienced those things. And honestly, as your pastor, I believe that it is my role to to help walk you down this pathway, to create clear, safe spaces for you to know God and know him personally, and to create environments where you can find freedom from all the things that have confused you and lied to you, enslaved you, and held you back. 
and to help you discover your purpose so that you can live in your why and experience the blessing that comes when we live our lives to make a difference. So here's our vision going forward. To keep doing this as long as God allows us to for as many people as he would allow us to. That we would keep moving people down this pathway to know God, to find freedom, to discover purpose, to make a difference. That we would keep being a church for people that need this church. That we would keep being hope for people who feel hopeless. That we would keep being a family for people who feel abandoned and orphaned and lost. That we would keep being a place where people can connect with the gospel of Jesus and our lives as well. The moment they enter our parking lots, that we would keep being a family for people who need one. And I'm going to keep doing everything that I can in my role to do that. But I think that as I tell you the story of how our church started, it is a story of what God did in me and a few people. We, we started this church with 35 people. There were 35 of us on that first Sunday and 19 kids. That's way too many kids. Shouldn't be as many kids as there are adults. And honestly, it's still that way. There's 95 kids in our kids' ministry last Sunday. And the reason why is because that kids' ministry is awesome. Our children are not being babysat or watched. They are being made to believe they have a purpose, that they're called and created, that God wants to do huge things in them. And that's why we keep bringing our kids back there and why there's so many kids in it because of what is happening. Sarah Antonor, our kids director, does such a good job. I want to show her honor and blessing. We, we, we. Anyways, sidebar, sorry. But, but we, we started with 35 adults and 19 kids. That first Sunday, the third week of February in 2016, we had 215 people in our service. The next week, almost 100 of them came back. I'm telling you, God has been doing amazing things here. Ever since that was funny um, to me. We grew the church to 80, and then we started growing it again. And, uh, but God has been doing so many amazing things in this church over the history of this church, and I believe he will continue to. But I believe it's not a story of me anymore and what God's done in, in just a few people, that, that what is next is a story of we. That, that the mission and the vision of this church going forward isn't about what God's going to do in me and in John Mark and, and in the pastors and in the staff of this church, but rather the vision for the future of this church is what our part is in it together. Because the church was never meant to be about one person or some, some person on a stage or a staff. The church is a body. It is a body of people working together to bring people the message of Jesus is who we are. And so the future of our church is all of us. And so I've told you what my part is. I'm going to keep creating spaces. I'm going to keep meeting with you, caring for you, loving, leading, and sharing my life with you. But I've got some parts for you to take in it as well. And so for the rest of the message, what I want to do is just share a few things that I would ask, that I would ask you to partner with me in, in the future of this church. It says in 2 Timothy 1, 13 and 14, what you have heard from me, this is Paul writing to a young pastor, Keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus and guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. What we have seen so far is not the finished product. It is an investment. It is a deposit. And it is our role, church, our role to guard it and to advance it. And so let me tell you how we're going to do that here today. It says, number one, pursue the lost. Pursue the lost. We've got a job to do, church. 
Jesus gave it to us in his final statement before ascending to his throne. Mark 16, 15 says, He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. I'm passionate about this because I was so lost. There's just not a better word for it. I was untethered, drifting, hopeless, hurting, felt abandoned, felt like I didn't belong anywhere, felt, felt lost. And, I, and I, I have hope now. And I have joy and peace and purpose. And I have to do everything in my power to find as many people who are like I once was and share with them what I have now because that is my responsibility. When I was lost, somebody showed me the way forward. Somebody offered me hope when I was in my most hopeless state. Somebody gave me a better story to live. And so it, it is my job now. It is all of, if you are in this place and you know what it feels like to feel lost, if you've ever lived without hope, if you've lived wondering what, what your meaning was, what the purpose was, and you have it now, it is your responsibility to share it with as many people as you can, to walk others into that. We have tried so hard to make Sunday an incredible environment for you to be able to do that in. We are always asking, how do we make this space comfortable for people who are coming for the first time? How do we take away some of their anxiety and their fear? And how do we demystify it? How do we help them take down the walls they've spent years building? How do we make them feel welcome and wanted and seen and valued? And we present the gospel to them. We prevent, present opportunities for them to experience the Holy Spirit. And we present the gospel to them every week. And so what we would ask is for you to partner with us in that. Bring them here. Four times a year, I would ask that you have somebody in that seat next to you who needs to hear the message of Jesus. Four times. You can have the other 48. 48 Sundays, you can do whatever you want. You can, you can just, just, you don't have, but four Sundays. Four Sundays, join us in this mission. Have somebody seated next to you that needs this space the way that you need this space. And here's what I would say. At the end of service, when I say every head bowed, every eye closed, and I invite them into a relationship with Jesus, you have my permission to bow your head and keep one eye open. Just close one. Watch them and see what they do. And, and if you see them pray that prayer in that moment, you'll get it. You'll, you'll get it. You'll never hesitate to offer that invitation again. You'll never question the way that we do it again. You'll, never, you'll, you'll get it. It will become real to you. Join us in this. Join us in this. Pursue the lost. The second thing is find freedom. Listen, church, you've got to find freedom. We can't do this for you. I can't heal your past. I can't break your addictions. I can't stop your sin. I can't reset your thinking. You're going to have to do the hard work. You're going to have to fight for it because freedom is yours and it is available to you and it is worth it. But I think we try really hard to skip this step because we know how hard it's going to be. And so we try to go straight to purpose or, or just to serve the church a lot and ignore the freedom that we need. And what happens is when you ignore your chains, they don't get any looser. And so we think that we can just move past that step, but we become more and more unsatisfied and uncomfortable inside, and we blame everything else and everybody else. They didn't help me. They didn't do what I needed them to do. They don't really care about me. You need to find freedom. 
and you're going to have to make the choice to do it. It says in Galatians 5.1, Paul's writing to the church and he says, for freedom, Christ has set, he didn't set you free so you could remain in chains. He set you free so that you could be free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He had to say that because they were thinking, this is too hard. I'm just going to stay under a yoke of slavery. I know it's hard. I know you're thinking, but, but, if, but if I'm going to break that addiction, I'm going to expose it. If I'm gonna, if I'm gonna have to move forward from that sin, I'm gonna have to live in the consequences of that sin. If I'm gonna break through this depression, it's gonna require a lot of work and time and energy, and I don't, I don't want to do it. I don't know how to do it. I'm, I'm afraid of what, what if it doesn't work, or what if I can't do it, and and all these reasons and excuses, and we just stay in our shackles. Listen to me. Freedom is available to you, church, and the church needs you in your best form. It needs you free. There are people who need you free. And so find freedom, do the work, get in a life group and let your walls down and let somebody walk you to freedom. If you need it, if you need more, then go to counseling. Let somebody help you and lead you. Go to a program, do whatever you do, need to do, but find freedom, find freedom. Third is get vulnerable. We are a church of vulnerability. We have been from the beginning. We've had a culture of vulnerability. We believe in and just bringing things that have been in darkness into the light. We believe in being honest and in sharing things that is not common for people to share with one another because we believe we grow out of that. Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote 2 Corinthians knowing that this letter was probably going to be shared all over the world. He wrote 2 Corinthians probably with some idea that this was going to persist. And he still chose in this book to write a lot about the weaknesses that he has and the frustrations he had with God. He talks about this thing that he wanted to be freed from and he didn't know how to get there. and made him feel weak and less than. And it says, he wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so the power of Christ may rest upon me. So for the sake of Christ then, I'm content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. Often we have calamities and we just try to struggle through them all on our own. I'm just going to have my own calamity and I'm going to be sad and mad about my calamity, but I'm not going to allow anybody else into my world of calamity. Listen up. Let your calamities out. Let people see them and you will not have to go through them alone anymore. It is a lot easier to walk through a calamity with a calamity buddy. Get vulnerable. Get you a calamity, buddy. Get somebody to walk next to you in the worst moments of your life because I believe you need that. And to get vulnerable means we got to take the mask off. It means we go to a community, to a, to a life group, and we allow people to really know who we are. We admit that we're not perfect, that we don't have it all together. We admit that we're not a very good church person. We, we admit that we've been trying and failing. Get vulnerable. Try people. We think that people will let us down if we allow them to see who we really are. And I would say to you, try them. Test them. I believe that the people in this church are better than we give them credit for. Get vulnerable. Four, help others grow. This one's big. Because you should always have somebody who is just ahead of you and you should always have somebody who is just behind you. Jesus modeled this for us. 
always be training and teaching and leading somebody else. I believe that by leading others, it helps us to grow as well. I, I, I believe that we should always be investing what we have in somebody else. I've always got somebody in front of me leading me. You need a mentor. You need somebody to lead you. I've got four people that have total access to my life, who I ask questions of, who tell me how to be a better father, husband, parent, how, how to be a better a father and a parent, same thing, how to be a better leader, pastor, teacher, friend, all the time I'm asking. I drive them crazy with the questions that I ask. And they're followers of Jesus, and so they keep leading me forward. And I turn around, and I just try to invest that in somebody else. Who can I lead? One step behind, two steps behind. Somebody who just entered into a relationship with Jesus, and they're terrified. It's a scary thing to step into. I remember I was there. Let me help you. Let me tell you about my journey. Let me just see how I can help you in your next steps. Or let me just listen to you and be here with you. Always help somebody else grow. It will help you grow. I find that I am forced to grow as I help others grow. Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 25 of a, of a man who has a lot of money and he's leaving and he gives 10 bags of silver to one guy and five bags to another guy and one bag to another guy. And he goes away for a while and he comes back and he wants to know what they've done with it. And the first guy multiplied it and the second guy multiplied it and the third guy hid it in the dirt. Things don't go well for the third guy. And see, here's the point. Jesus expects us to grow what he invests in us. What's been deposited in us, he expects us to invest in others. Whatever joy you've been given, hope you've been given, gift you've been given, he expects you to turn around and develop that and give that and grow that and as many others as you can. Help others grow. This is how the church works. Somebody is leading me. I am leading somebody else. That's what the church looks like. The church isn't one person leading hundreds of people. That's foolishness. The church is somebody is leading me and I am leading someone else. Lead a life group. Join a life group and connect with somebody else that you can help lead and walk through that journey. Get in a relationship in real community where you're exposing yourself to somebody else and letting them learn from you while you're still learning from them. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Number five. Feed yourself. This is a big one. I believe that if we are going to become who we were made to be in Jesus, we have got to learn to feed ourselves. At the church that I was at in California, we had a uh, value that said we will be self-feeders or we are self-feeders. I remember hating it. I remember thinking, that's, that's, you know what? They're being lazy. They don't have the resources to feed me and they want me to do it myself. I don't like that. I got all mad about it, hot and bothered about it, complained to Rael about it. But then as I grew, and over the last eight years, as I've come to really, come to know some spiritual giants in my life, what I have learned is that every person who is growing spiritually in a way that I want to emulate wakes up every single morning and feeds themselves. We have an overseer named Kurt Bradford. And Kurt is one of the most amazing men I know. He's a pastor. He's, he's in his 70s. Been a pastor for many, many years. Hundreds of years. No, I'm kidding. Sorry, Kurt. Kurt wakes up every morning, prays, reads the Bible for four hours. Listen, church. We can't, you can't eat once a week and expect your body to be healthy. You can't eat once a week and expect to grow. 
You can't eat once a week and expect to, to get better of whatever it is you want to get better from. You got to eat every day. If you really, really want to step into the purpose that God has for you, wake up every single morning and tell him so. Every single morning, feed yourself. You need more than milk if you are going to grow. At some point, you're going to have to pick up a fork and start feeding yourself. My daughter Dagny is two years old uh, in March, in a couple weeks. And Dagny is, um, she's learning to eat. And she's learning utensils right now. And it does not going well. The fork misses half the time. Or, or one of her things is she'll stab something with a fork and then pull it off with her hands and put it in her mouth. But she's figuring it out. She's learning. She's learning how to do it. And when I start feeding her with a fork, now it feels awkward because she wants, Dad, let me do this. I need to learn how to do this on my own. And I know that maybe you haven't started feeding yourself because it is awkward at first, like it is for a child. You don't know what to do, how, what to say, how to do it, how, how to begin. And I'm just telling you that with time, it gets easier. And you've got to be consistent in it in order to get comfortable in it. But you have got to feed yourself. You've got to do this. Paul says this in Philippians. It's the last, one of the last books that he writes. He's in prison waiting to die. And he's done so much. And he's led thousands of people to Jesus. He's written a ton of books for the Bible. All these letters that are all over the, the world now. And Paul says this. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken a hold of it. He's not there yet. He says, I'm not there. I haven't grown to who I want to be yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I know that I'm not ready yet. I'm not done yet. So I just keep moving forward. You've got to move forward. Wake up every morning and worship the one who made you. Study his word. Pray. I, I will just tell you, 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 if you want to grow, you can't just receive his word in this place. If you want to grow, you can't just worship in this room. You need to worship in places that don't look like houses. I was in my closet this morning. There's a bunch of paintings in there right now, and there's a pile of dirty clothes that I left there last night. And I was on my face on the carpet with tears rolling down my face in the most genuine moment of worship I've had in some time. You need to worship in spaces like that. You need to study his word. Get, get the YouVersion Bible app on your phone. Pick a plan and read it every day. And don't just read the Bible. Study it. Ask, what does this mean? What was happening in history at this time? Write things down. Journal. Give it 15 minutes of your day. It'll change your life. Give it an hour. It'll change somebody else's. Feed yourself. Don't just wait for somebody to spiritually feed you. Start feeding yourself. It's a both and. You need the community to help you grow, but you have also got to take some responsibility to do it on your own. Last thing is this. Be the church. We are the church. This is the vision for 2024. This is the vision going forward is that from now and forever, it's not just about what the pastors are doing, what the programs are doing, what, what ministries are going on, but that it's about how we, all of us together, step in, step up, use our gifts, get passionate about bringing this hope, this message, this life-giving 
gospel to our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers and the people right outside the doors. We start using our gifts that we've been given, each of us having one different from the other, using them in a way where they connect and work together so that we can be the church the way the church was made to be, so that we can see life brought into a place where there has been death, so that we can see light brought into a place where there has been darkness, so that we can watch people grow and move and see that look in their eyes where they move from a place of hopelessness and fear to a place of boldness and hope and strength when they realize who they were made to be. We get to do it together, church. So don't attend church. Don't be a consumer. Go to church. Contribute. Be the church. Be the church. We can do this together. It says in 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 15, For we are co-workers in God's service. We are co-workers. We were meant to do this together. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a builder and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than what has already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. See, Jesus laid a foundation for what the church would be, for the message we would teach, for the hope that we would share. And our job is to build on it, all of us. We're co-workers in this. We're meant to build on it and to grow it and to use our different gifts, you know, it's, it, 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 together so that we could see people enter into this truth together so they could have halal together, a real inner praise inside, a, a feeling of joy and a feeling of absolute peace. doesn't mean everything's going to be great in life. But it means that when it's not, I can keep moving forward because I know who I am and who I'm called to be and who has saved me and where I am going. It says that at the end, whatever we build will be tested. And it's true. One day we're going to stand before the king. We're going to stand in front of him and he's going to ask us to give an account on what we've built. He's going to evaluate what we built. Let's be together in, in feeling confident that we will be able to look at him and say, we gave it everything we had. We used our gifts. We shared with as many as we could. We watched people walk from knowing you to finding freedom in you to discovering the purpose that you gave them. We made a difference together and our community changed and the culture changed and the city changed and what we were known for changed and we did it for you. We did it for you because of what you've done for us. And we'll get to hear those words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in. Every single week almost, somebody enters into a relationship with Jesus in this room. Almost every week. You can be a part of that. Be the church. Be a part of that life-changing moment. Happens almost every week. And maybe the way for you to be a part of it today is for that to be you. Maybe you've been coming into this place, checking us out, or somebody drug you in here today because there was going to be t-shirts, cupcakes. But you've been longing for a family. You've been longing for a place to belong. You've been longing for hope. You've been longing for a purpose. You've been longing for the dots to connect somewhere. And if that's you this morning, you don't have to wonder anymore. You don't have to... There's no process that you have to do. You can enter into a relationship with Jesus right now here today. With every head bowed and every eye closed. 
You just pray this prayer with me. It's very simple. And it's a commitment. It's a commitment. It invites something new into your life. Just pray it with me. Heavenly Father, forgive me for trying to do this on my own. Forgive me for my sins. I believe in you. I believe in the hope that you died to give me. And so I give myself to you. Everything that I am from this moment on is yours. Use me. In Jesus' name, amen.